Good morning. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. So go ahead and turn there. How much does the memory of your sin bother you? Maybe you wake up at night and your brain replays all of your dirt or the dirt that's been heaped on you. Maybe you're the type who has bad conversations replay long after they're done. I remember a time in my life when I would get so angry at my own sin that I would yell at myself and I would hit myself. Um, I wanted to forget my sins, but I just couldn't. Has that ever happened to you? Has that happened to you this week? Today's text speaks to that and a lot more, and it offers hope. The hope is that you can't forgive or forget your sin, but Jesus can. But first I have to explain the bad news, because I don't think we often understand it. We don't often understand that we can't save ourselves, hard as we try. And the evidence is that a lot of us just keep trying. But our many sacrifices could never save us. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, which I'm going to read now. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the sacrifices, the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. First thing we see here is that our many sacrifices couldn't save us. It's right there in verse 1. See how God's people used to understand saving themselves was by keeping God's law and offering animal sacrifices when they broke that law. But what God showed them, we learned this in chapter 7, is that God's law wasn't designed to make them perfect. It was designed to reveal their imperfection. And verses 2 through 4 show us that imperfection in in two ways. First, we can't remove our sin. You can't simply forgive yourself. Look at at verse 2. If you could, the author logically files in verse 3, your conscience would be completely cleared. You'd be like a wiped computer, a new person. There's a lot of problems with that. One of the biggest problems is it's, it's God's law. He makes the rules. Remember, the old fix was animal sacrifices. So what happened during that? Because honestly, we've talked a lot about animal sacrifices. I don't know about you, but I don't think about that very much. It seems kind of old-fashioned. seems kind of 
togas and sandals. And what does that have to do with us? We're past that. But what happened during that was an animal was killed. They died instead of you. So you were saved in a way. The question the author is asking here is, does that make you a new person? No. If your sin problem would have been solved that way, you wouldn't need to offer any more sacrifices after the first one. Your sins would be gone completely. This has been the problem from the very beginning of the Bible. The first sacrifice, I think, happened after mankind's first sin. When God covered Adam and Eve, as they were sent out of the garden, he covered them in animal skins. Where did those animal skins come from? Dead animals. Were Adam and Eve saved by that? Did they keep sinning? Yeah, they did. So no, they were not saved by that. Their lives were were spared. But God's people didn't progressively get better after that. They progressively got worse. That's where the Jewish audience of this text finds themselves with their history of many sacrifices. They haven't been saved. They're left with the painful reality that they not only can't remove their sin, sub-point B, they can only remember it. They can't forgive their sin, and they can't forget it. So the priest returns again to the altar. Down comes the blade. And it's a reminder, day after day, Year after year, generation to generation, parent to children, you have sinned. And and as graphic as it might seem, because I, I can't relate to this, you can imagine being a priest, just blood everywhere from the sacrifice, and, and it dries. And the sun hits it and it just, it just bakes in there. And it becomes this, this deep lasting stain. And it won't go away. And it just keeps growing. And history became this downward spiral away from God. And you can still see empty sacrifices today. I mean, some cultures, it's just in one. They just keep sacrificing animals. Modern civilized people just try to do good things to make up for the bad things. Or they yell and they hurt themselves and they try to compensate that way. Or they hide their sin and they sacrifice friends and family instead. Or they just try to forget. But the blood spreads. Whether you're the priest or the sacrifice. So the question is, which one are you? 
I personally have been addicted to things. I've never been addicted to drugs or alcohol, but as I get older, I understand why people are. I do. They're trying to forget all the bad stuff that they don't believe can be fixed. It's a dead end. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying I get it. What can they do? What can any of us do? When our many sacrifices can't save us, we have to look to Jesus, whose one sacrifice can. Let me show you this in verses 5 through 18. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. O God, it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering has he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we're learning here that our many, many sacrifices can't save us. Now we're learning here that Jesus' one sacrifice will. And there's two ways in which that happens. They're the subpoints on your outline. The first way is a bit of an exchange. With Jesus' one sacrifice, he removes our sins and he gives us New hearts and minds. Verses 5 through 7 show us how the removal starts by quoting Psalm 40. And there we get a picture of Jesus talking to God the Father. He says this, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And what this shows us is that Jesus has come 
precisely because the old sacrificial system wasn't enough. He will obey God where man couldn't. In short, these verses show us why Jesus' one sacrifice can't take away sins. Because Jesus won't have any. Do you understand how big that is? <coughs> Jesus came to do perfectly what God asked us to do. Obey. He won't need to offer God one sacrifice. But in verse 5, when Jesus says, A body of you prepared for me, Jesus is saying, I'm the sacrifice. I'm offering myself fully to you to be used only for your will. And verse 9 tells us this was the way to get rid of the old system of sacrifice. The author just shows us exactly how in verse 11 through a contrast. And we see it every day in our own hearts. Some of us. On one hand, all these old priests who've sinned themselves, they're offering many sacrifices, but those sacrifices can't take away one sin. But when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, he could take away all of them. His one sacrifice finally saved where all others failed. That's why right there in verses 12 and 13, the author of Hebrews sums up Psalm 110, which is the text we've kept going back to over the past month as we've talked about Jesus as our priest. When it was finished, Jesus sat down. The old way of saving yourself was done. So now what? Well, when Jesus saves, he does more than take away sin. He gives. And we forget that. What he gives is in verse 16. It's a loose quote of Jeremiah 31:33 that says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Referring to the day of Jesus coming. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. In other words, when Jesus' sacrifice is made, God doesn't just leave his people as rebooted computers with no knowledge of their past sin. In fact, they're very much aware of their sin because they know what they've been saved from. But now he's working in them, helping them to incline themselves toward him with renewed minds and hearts. At that point, let me revisit the tension I shared at the beginning. Because you read this, you think, I get it, you know. I know Jesus has saved me, but, but all that sin back then, I remember it. It still hurts. And it doesn't want to leave. 
And on hard days, I look up and I think to God, are you sure you're not going to wave those in my face one day? You sure they're dead? Because they don't feel dead. Any Jew reading Hebrews could relate. I mean, <clears throat> think about being a priest again. And you're out of a job one day because Jesus comes and wrecks your economy. So imagine you get back inside that temple where you used to offer all those sacrifices and the blood is still there. And even if it did fade away, you remember those sins still happened. What do you do when you forget, when you can't forget and it just still hurts. It's the second way Jesus' one sacrifice saves us. It's sub-point two in your outline. He will not remember our sins. Look at verse 17. This is also a quote from Jeremiah 31. It's one verse after God's promise to change us. It says this, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What? Who's ever been confused by that one? I remember hearing this song. It's called What Sin? I don't recommend it. The chorus, what's in, is about a person who thinks that Jesus doesn't remember the sin. Like it's, it's gone. Like I don't mean don't remember. I mean like it's erased. Like it never happened. I need you to work something out in your head with me because this is a really small and really crucial thing. And if you don't get it, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. Okay? All right. Let me work it out in my head. Okay, I, I can't forgive my sin. All right, I got it. Okay, God can. Great. All right, I'm with you so far. Okay, I, I can't forget my sin. I know that. Three o'clock knows that. God can? Can, can God forget? Like how? He, he's God. He knows everything. That. That sounds cheap. That sounds dangerous. The phrase isn't forget. It's I will remember no more. There's a big difference. When you remember something no more, you're not forgetting it. You're disregarding it. For example, say you hurt a good friend. And they go away for decades and you see them one day and it's pretty clear by how they're treating you. They've forgotten what you've done. Are you all better? No. You know what you did. And you know what? Even if you forgot, guess who didn't forget? God. Because it's his law. 
that's what you broke. But what if instead your friend, while away, becomes a Christian, and they remember what you did, and they choose to remember it no more? They look at your sin, and they choose not to regard it. What did they just do? Instead of regarding your sin, they are regarding Jesus' sinlessness. So where the priest would see the dried blood and they'd only think of sin, they'd only remember sin, they'd only regard sin, God looks at the blood of Jesus and says, this is what I regard. So as verse 18 concludes, no more sacrifices are necessary. That's why it says that. Friends, when you regard Jesus, you can begin to disregard your many sins. The old system of many sacrifices couldn't save us. Jesus' one sacrifice will. We can't forgive or forget our sins, but Jesus can. He can do more than that. He can know them. And still love you. He saves us. And he gives us. A new way to live. One more thing. Before we start applying this. We've got to make double sure. We get the order right. God. Takes away. And then he gives. When we, when we read verse 17. Look at it. In context. That quote in Jeremiah 31 says, For I will remember their sins no more. For. So that disregard, I will remember their sins no more, that's what's driving God's previous promise of new hearts and minds. In other words, because of Jesus' one sacrifice, Now we are saved so that we can live with new hearts and new minds. Got it? Okay, now we can apply it. First, if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe his one sacrifice was enough, your first application is remember that God won't remember your sin. Write that down. Remember that God won't remember your sin. Now you might look at me and say, how am I supposed to do that? It's like, hey, don't think of pink elephants. I mean, you think of your sin and now it's in there. I was doing great, Dan. I was doing good at 955. Then you told me about all this sin and now it's back in my head. Now what? Because I can't get it to leave. Because it just likes living there. You know? Late at night, mind replaying all the old dirt. Okay, there's a, there's a quote by, by Thomas Watson. I heard it a bunch of years ago and thankfully I haven't forgotten this. For every look at yourself... Take 10 looks at Christ. 
For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. In other words, you're not supposed to forget your sin. Look at yourself, but not that much. Honestly, I just think we think about ourselves too much. You know? You're not supposed to forget your sin. When it comes to mind, you are supposed to take it to Jesus. Regard him. Regard his sacrifice. Remind yourself that your sin was buried with him, but he rose alone without it. Now, I got to linger here because as I... As I've shared, disregarding sin is not easy. Because as I age, I don't just remember the dirt. I get more dirt. Anybody here ever like sin more? Like you sinned that one time and then you did it again? And then it just adds up? So this text drives me to remind something really important. Because of Jesus, you know how I got to think about myself? I'm more forgiven now than I was yesterday. Though I have a long way to go, Jesus is doing good work. How about you? You know what happens when we forget that? We try to rebuild the altar. Jesus destroyed the temple and you just get out there and you're brick by brick trying to put it back together. You know, Jesus, I I just don't think your sacrifice was enough. But when we apply that correctly, we can do the second application. Out of that new knowledge, remember that God won't remember your sin, work to renew your minds and hearts. In other words, make new memories. Pile them up. Like when your body wakes up in the middle of the night with all the dirt, start praying. That's what I'm going to do. When I wake up at three, I'm going to pray. Or I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray for my friend. Or I'm going to praise God. You keep making new memories. One great example is if you have kids... Did you know that you can teach them the lessons about Jesus that you didn't know at their age? I love telling my kids this. I'm like, I'm teaching my daughter something. She's like 10. And I'm like, I didn't know this until I was like 30. And you get it now. And you can build that stuff up. Or if God brings earthly ways to mind at three in the morning, that you have hurt people, do you know you can actually renew the friendship? You don't have to try to forget it. Maybe you could ask that old friend you hurt for forgiveness. Now, I got to add something here in the midst of all this good news. This is good news. It's just a little medium news. Um, I got to add something here because when, when we sin against Jesus, we don't just hurt ourselves. And I've talked about that a lot. But sometimes we hurt other people. 
Have you ever hurt another person? Especially as we age and the knowledge of sin keeps building. If you're not taking that to Jesus, it's going to get harder and harder. So I got to add that this text should drive everybody who calls themselves Christian to consider one more layer. When we work to renew our minds and hearts, this includes being reconciled to one another. And depending on what you've done, maybe, for example, if you've struggled with addiction or escapism and you've left a trail or you've hit a bunch of secrets, your new life might involve submitting to earthly justice. And you might think to yourself, I don't want that. I want the happy ending now. We don't get perfection now. We get a taste of the new life. God can forgive you, but that doesn't mean every relation here will instantly be perfect. But there's good news there. By the mercy of God, anybody can actually begin a new life. Anybody. Finally, for anybody who does not know Jesus, not sure if you believe in him, this text It has to show you first the weight of your sin. You will stand before God. I don't care if you don't believe in him. And your many sacrifices won't save you. I have to tell you that. Because our many sacrifices could never save us. Jesus' one sacrifice can We can't remove our sins. Jesus can. We can't forget our sins. Jesus does more. He won't hold them against us because he held them against himself. I want to take a few minutes as I close here. I want to give room for you to just meditate on what we've just talked about. Whether it's you taking something to the Lord that you haven't because you've just been too busy. Now you're not. I'm giving you five minutes. And I want you to think about your relationship with the Lord. And I want you to think about your relationships here. And with your family and with one another. To think about what restoration means. And to give you room to process. I invite Allie to play for a few minutes. And then I'll close us in prayer. so much for salvation it's something that we 
can just make into a program and a thing we think about once a week or before we eat food or after we feel bad. But God, your salvation, the fact that you died, that you died to save us and that that one sacrifice changes us. Lord, we forget that. And we just heap up good works. And some of us just play the same game every day. We try to forgive ourselves. We try to forget. And we can't. And God, I thank you that we can't. Thank you that we can't even begin to do that. Because it just shows us all the more how much we need you. But Lord, you're so patient. You are so patient working with us, forgiving us, interceding for us. Right now, you're interceding for us. And I praise you for that. Lord, as much as we confess, I want us to praise you too for that salvation. I ask that that would lead to restored relationships with you, with my friends here, with me, and, and that we would be restored to one another. And if there's anybody here who, who needs to be reconciled, to friends and family, to you, that we would think about your sacrifice and that would be what motivates us. And that from that, we could begin to get a picture of what eternity is like, where there will be no tears, no more pain, no more brokenness. Thank you, God, for who you are. Amen.